Hello, welcome to episode two of Beyond the Facade. This is Doña Junta and Sabrina. I already <laughs> forgot my Instagram, my dedicated Instagram um You'll have to remember that by the end. That's pathetic. When you get of a certain age, it's what happens. She's so young. But today, uh, our episode is going to be about the Cecil Hotel. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and there's a lot already being discussed. And we're going to touch on the film, the Netflix documentary on the Cecil Hotel, which I'm sure everybody knows by now what that is. And that is crime scene the vanishing at the cecil hotel i will add i really enjoyed it i thought it was well put together for the most part yeah yeah so we're just gonna kind of go i guess part by part or just what whatever uh parts of the whole the the whole documentary we kind of wanted to talk about and highlight uh, i do want to point out that we are right here right behind the cecil hotel we originally wanted to park in front of it and chop it up about the Cecil Hotel. However, in front of it is crazy. It's burnt. And what, um... And I don't mean burnt like the homeless people. There's just like <laughs> a bunch of like, um... People just staring at it. Yeah, looky loose. Yeah. I mean, what we would be if we didn't have content, right? Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's, um, coming down here. It's on and cracking here. But we found a beautiful spot on Los Angeles Street right behind the hotel and we're looking at it there's nobody here bothering any of us it, it's a it's pretty dark and it's dead and we could talk and it's still skid row area but we're just behind it's not all like yeah don't mind the man peeing next to us a minute ago <laughs> but you know but i would like to add that about six seven months ago we were in front of the cecil just doing our normal runs through downtown l.a um, we'd hit many of our favorite spots like the Oviad and um, the Millennium Biltmore. And, but before we uh, left, we wanted to see the Cecil. And we were here for like, what, 45 minutes? Yeah, we just had pulled up to like the, it was not even a parking. And we were just staring at it, like having a discussion about it. But So this has been definitely on our radar for a while now. It's just it's so hyper uh, sensationalized right now. We might as well just get on in on that gold too. Why not? So let's go ahead and get started. Sabrina did watch the documentary first, so you know. And I was dying because it <laughs> took her like three days to get to it. <laughs> so I, I kind of wanted you to kind of start like the parts that you think that you want to bring up in the discussion. Well, one of the things that I would like to say is um, if you guys don't know already which I'll just go through and tell you again, is that I'm a paranormal investigator. Um, I don't do it as much as, as I used to, but I have many friends that are still fairly active, and obviously we love architecture, buildings, and a good ghost story. So I've been inside, and I try to flirt my way <laughs> upstairs in the elevator, and <laughs> it didn't work. Um, maybe, what, what year did you go do that? Oh, I don't know. It was probably like five years ago. Okay. We were I was down I was downtown with a couple of friends and we were we were at the last bookstore and it was not a a, a Lisa Lamb kind of thing. We were just, you know, down here because people in Los Angeles, you know, they come to downtown LA sometimes. And we were just down here looking at some sites and we decided to roll upon the Hotel Cecil. 
because we wanted to, you know, speak with spirits. But um, the conversation I had with the, the, the security guard, uh, he would not let me upstairs, obviously, in the elevator. He said that no one would be allowed unless they, you know, were staying there for the evening. He, I asked him, because the flirting wasn't work, and he said that, I asked him basically, like, dude, was she crazy or was she killed? Like, what happened? And he said, off the record, she was a nut. She was a nut. So, I always believed from the beginning that she succumbed to some kind of uh, psychotic break or some sort of, you know, mental um, health issue she was having. Right. And so when I watched the documentary, but there's so much more I didn't know about the Cecil. The Cecil is just like this dark spot in downtown LA. This like, you know, obviously it's Skid Row, right? It's it's not the lo most lovely of buildings, but it has a really dark soul or maybe it's soulless. Mm -hmm. There's something about it when I sit next to it, when I'm near it. It's not a very, it's a very... Uh, unapproachable building. It's not somewhere you want to go. And we're staring at it right now. Literally. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hotel Cecil. You're just not. We're just not like that. We're not good like that. Anyway, um, there's so much I learned. Like, for instance, right. I didn't do a lot of research back then because I was just like, oh, you know, balls to the wall, do whatever I want, you know, take it by the moment. Whereas um, Doña over here, she's very... Um, method and she does everything by research because she wants to know what she's talking about you know before she talks about it which is really smart <laughs> it's not always my forte so I didn't really know a lot about it for instance I didn't know that they really had daily weekly rates and they really had long-term people living there yes the long-term people was just very interesting and oh you know you get back to that but the long-term people part was surprising but it wasn't at the same time i do know that there is a lot of uh, single room occupancies around here sro's because of skid row and i but i didn't know that there was any at the cecil or the cecil had that that vibe but it was interesting when they did say that there's long-term residents, that they've been there 40 years, or like older men, which was, what'd you think about that? I, creep factor, that's like so creepy, that's like Chester, like that spot in Wilmington, that street, yeah. but it's just right here where they advertise it, and that's another thing that I'd like to bring up. Um, well, I don't want to, well, I'll bring it up anyways, since we're on it, is that they advertise for the stay on Maine. So the advertisement, you know, makes it seems like it's much more grand and you're getting a really good, you know, deal for a dollar, right? But you're actually not. You're exposed to not only, you know, skid row surroundings and the inhabitants, which are literally like up and down the streets, but literally across the street, sleeping, living right there. But you're living in the SRO you know hotel it's like a hotel with the daily weekly rates and people with long-term livers livers living there and only three fucking floors are dedicated to actual you know hotel customers new hotel customers like tourists what is that that's bananas and then you have to share the friggin elevator no well, thank you i when they try to make it stay on main mm -hmm. that's when they 
somehow reorganized the, the I thought that was weird like part of it was stay on main and it was like they they fixed the rooms the three floors of rooms or whatever it was the first floor was a resident and then above the six was like the Cecil <laughs> which was weird like how they divided that like probably thinking oh well if you come to stay on main you're not going to be going to the 15th floor or anything but if you go to the Cecil obviously you're going but they they did mention the elevator part yeah, and which is, and I, I guess in a normal day, but no, I mean, anyone who's ever lived in an apartment, you, no matter what, you're gonna, usually, if you've been, if you're there for more than a day or two, run into someone on a different floor. You know, they're gonna be on the twelfth floor, and you're on the third. You know, and you might have to deal with them for thirty seconds to, you know, a couple minutes, and I'm sure that's a very awkward feeling because it's a stark difference of what you're trying to achieve as a tourist as opposed to someone who's you know living there as a resident right now the ambulance will be passing by so in true <laughs> la style right okay so just to clarify um i have worked with the homeless population so i understand the concept of poverty homelessness the vulnerable state this place is in right now we're sitting in and how that contributes to the the in the way the darkness of the hotel because of the the history that's been going on here for many years um so all, all of that mixed in together as we've seen in the documentary i mean there is a lot of um i think she mentioned like hurt and trauma and all kinds of stuff so i could see how um, i like how they really brought that up yes. i really like that Yes, and that um, they didn't try to demonize completely Skid Row and the people because it has a, it's a deeper rooted history here in this area, and the people that are obviously coming here, you know, we don't know their story, but there's reasons why they came here or come here, or dropped off, mm -hmm. like hospitals, and and we know that for a fact. I mean, even where I live, and I live in you know the greater Los Angeles County. And I've seen the county drop off homeless people just, you know, on the street just so they're not in front of the hospital or they're not, you know, in the hospital anymore. But back to the point, um, I, they also did did describe in the 80s Skid Row and the kind of like herding that they did where they try to keep them impacted in one area in Skid Row. Right. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know about that. I have to admit. I did not either. I love the scenes of like grimy 1980 hotel room, bloody mattresses, and just people just living kind of in trap houses, I guess, in a sense. A trap house in the hotel. It's just those hotels that we you kind of know that it's cracking there. There's a lot of stuff going on and stuff. And then it was like so much there and all those floors above. I think the guy said above six and up was six like and up. Yeah. just so much yes. going on so and I, I have I've seen these type of hotels like where I grew up they have like these old hotels that with the hallways and the doors and all that like everybody kind of knows that vibe and this was like a just a huge version of that and in the 80s there was a crack epidemic going on um, so it just was really really um, it really impacted, and obviously the Cecil's right in the middle of it. 
Yeah, it's it's true. It's smack dab. And it really is a contrast when you see these large, luxurious, you know, very expensive penthouse lofts that people, you know, rent and or own. And then you're smacked in the face with the stench of urine and homelessness. And there's such a big difference. It's not so, there's not a lot of gray. There's a lot of black and white here. Not a lot of gray. And it's, it's sad to have such a, you know, a booming, um, a booming Los Angeles and to see such disen, uh, disenfranchisement right here above in your eyes and to just see these people and they're, you know, dehumanized and yes. And in the documentary, they mentioned that gentrification here started in 2007. So in the early days of, of, of LA, obviously it was early days. It was, um, LA was the place to be and things like that but then it dropped off it was discarded nobody wanted to be in downtown anymore people kind of went to the suburbs or somewhere else but in 2007 they started rebuilding these lofts and penthouses like she said and these old buildings and renovating them to million dollar places and all that and I, I do remember that myself because when I was doing graffiti late 90s early 2000s it was really dead out here literally like all the buildings were just like empty and I just remember coming down here to go to Broadway to the jewelry places or mm -hmm. like like the mom and pop shops that were on Broadway so yeah the the gentrification really went all out and now it's mixed in with obviously the homeless population been here before the gentrification so that now is all in the middle of it together and it really is what makes the culture of like downtown Los Angeles right so getting to that point where you said the long term residents that was really interesting and we see some lights on right now so <laughs> we're thinking um, or we're hearing that there's still residents that are living there but we'll get to that I guess eventually so back to the Go ahead, like anything else that you felt like you learned or... Well, we, we had already known due to our um, handy-dandy researcher over here to my <laughs> left. There's... There, well, I mean, we, we've known um, that there was also many deaths, many yes. unexplainable deaths, suicides, and self-murders. And it's just like a place you come to just die. It, that's the way it feels when you look at it or when you're around it. And um, I think they did a really good job highlighting some of those past histories. Yes. And they did bring up a lot of the, like, the when I did the research, I only found um, 16 deaths in the newspaper starting from 1931. But the lady, the general manager, she, there were so many other deaths that were never addressed in the newspaper, obviously probably overdoses other probably suicides or things like that that were not ever probably mentioned at all no and she the, i think the number she mentioned i don't recall in the her number. 10 years that she worked there was she, like, she said but i did it in my head and it was like eight deaths like a year like i think she said like 80 deaths in 10 years so that would have been like what eight deaths a year right yeah it was something like that yeah and that's pretty phenomenal i mean to just, can you imagine being that, you know, that old, that white lady coming from, I don't know where she said she came from, that part I didn't pay attention to. 
My bad. But yes, I th- 80 tenants. I did right here. That's a, 80, tenants. 80 tenants. In 10 years. So give or take. 80 deaths in 10 years she worked there. Exactly. So we can, you know, round it. Of course, there might have been 12 in one year and four in one year and so forth. But let's just, you know, break it down to approximately eight per year in the 10 years. And that's still pretty significant. Right. And those were not documented in any newspaper that I seen. Um, I think maybe the death of newspapers, people, they don't add those things anymore. I don't know. But the newspaper documentation had been going off since 1931. Well, up until the Elisa Salam thing. But in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, there was all the documented deaths and like background of the person that died in the newspaper but all the other ones probably not even mentioned or cared about and she touches the the general manager instead of we'll call her that instead of white lady that's really probably inappropriate um the general manager mentions that um about the desensitization they're so used to erratic behavior and death at this point that they're desensitized which goes back to why no alarms were raised by the behavior of Elisa Lamb because they see that every freaking day it's, right right it's in their face and she was and from what they were getting at in the documentary she didn't do something so outlandish that would be like whoa she's a direct threat to kill somebody right now or whoa she's in directly going to kill herself which, you know, would be the reason why no one was so hyped or, like, her murder, or, excuse me, her murder, her death wasn't so, um, that no one, that it went so many days and no one really looked after her and no one tried to get after her parents or anything like that or try to get to the bottom of anything is what I'm basically trying to say. So are you saying at the time that she acted erratic in the lobby? Or because she was miss when she was missing. I'm talking about the time, like she was acting erratic, like with the 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 room she shared with the, the oh, other women. Oh yes, yes, yes. And in the lobby, so she's had uh, already like a history, being there for a couple days. She checked into what the the uh, hotel on the 28th, if I'm correct, and I believe she went missing on the 30th. So that's like two days, and she's already acting strange to her. Um, roommates that she's sharing the room with and then she's making odd behaviors in the lobby and two days worth but nothing really alarming where you know the staff at the hotel would be like oh my gosh somebody call 911 right and <laughs> my sister wanted me to add this into the part <laughs> she like said that from the beginning she knew it was mental health and she was very annoyed that it went on and on and on that it wasn't and I gave it a chance all the way to the end of the fourth one to see, and obviously it makes sense. So I'll, we'll comment on that part, but she just wanted to add that. She already knew from episode one it was mental health. And by the way, she's worked in mental health units and stuff like that. So, And we could add to that, too, that a lot of these people probably don't know mental health. And unless you're in it, you, you're not going to know it, or if you have a family member that suffers yeah. from mental health. So... She just wanted to be highlighted on that. I see. Vanessa? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, and all of us, including Vanessa, we have a, a background with um, mental health. Right. Gauging indifference. Definitely, my partner to my left has a lot more than, than me, per se, but being in hospitals, working in mental hospitals, you see some crazy things, and 
her behaviors really um, mirrored the kind of behaviors that I've seen before as well. Right, right. Which, seeing the whole thing, it all makes sense. But during the time that people were really trying to figure out what it was, after seeing the whole thing, it did kind of get like a little bit too much, you know, as far as them trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. You say. <laughs> yeah. Um, are we going to go down that rabbit hole or are we going to? So let me just uh, real quick on. Um, I've been to the Cecil one time in 2010 when my friend El Guerrero did a tour of the footsteps of Richard Ramirez he basically was going from every place that Richard Ramirez had encountered during the time he was here in LA so it was not to glorify him it was just more of like the history of what happened and then we ended up in East LA where he got caught we talked to the families and all that so it was really interactive and it was it was a really good tour but we did make a stop here in 2010 so we obviously he got permission we got to um go up to the room he used to free, uh, live in i guess or stay in for that time and from what i could remember from 2010 just going up like the elevator to the place to the how the floor he lived on it, it just seemed grimy like more like those again those hotels that we know growing up that you see you know they're just grimy hotels that probably have like 20 layers of paint um that weird smell <laughs> that dingy smell and like there's single room occupancies and there's probably you know drugs and stuff involved in there and stuff like that there's always some of those places like especially if you live in LA but that's what I remember I didn't take it in like I, I am now because I just I wasn't I didn't know the history of it from before I just knew the history of Richard Ramirez staying there I didn't know about the deaths that were happening there none of that until way later so i wish i would have took more pictures and would have like seen it in a different way but at the time it just wasn't part of it but yeah that was the only time i went in and then after that it just i just forgot about it and in the stand main i never went and when we did recently talk about it it's been closed down yeah yeah did you see that part about them talking about Richard Ramirez coming back from like his kills or his exploits and coming back like in his fucking chonies and with blood on him walking up the stairs and it not being like an like anything like people probably were like yeah. Ugh, but not a big deal because they're used it to was, seeing stuff like that yes talk about desensitization I mean but it was so cracking in the 80s like yeah did you see those scenes where they were like in the rooms like they're just like grimy like grimy like people just hanging out doing drugs basically and that him coming in all nasty and with no was probably like anybody else any other person with some mental health issue whatever. yeah so that was interesting but i could see why he got away with that back then i mean it was just too much going on and it was all it all looked the same yeah yeah it did like a needle in the haystack right so, so that's how my connection is to the hotel and then hers 
trying to investigate. Trying to investigate and, you know, flirting wasn't doing its job, I guess. I'm just not that spring chicken and was, uh, you know, wasn't getting my fish, if you will. <laughs> right. But he was not having it. I will give that security guard whatever his name was. I'll call him asshole. He would not let me upstairs, not let me look around. Um, I have friends, uh, multiple friends that have, you know, got a room and have stayed and investigated and have uh, EVPs. And they said that, uh, one friend in particular said that, she said it wasn't very active. There was some, some like doors moving and things like that, but not a lot of um, evidence. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and there I go with the, um, evidence. It wasn't super compelling, but we all feel things differently and we experience things differently. I would love to go in there and go investigate now. And before now, like I said, it's been on my radar off and on for years. And me going down there to the Cecil was back in like. I don't know, five years ago, approximately. I'd have to ask my friends because they were with me that day. So there's a paranormal draw. And if anyone who's a sensitive person, you know, you want to call yourself a medium, an empath, any any kind of person with a little bit of extrasensory sensibilities, um, you can just feel that it's not a good place. It's not a place you want to be. And it's, I don't know, there's foreboding it's just like looking into an empty carcass. Yeah, the back part that you love. Oh, I hate that back part. Describe that to to everybody. I don't know. It's like it's like a cut in your back and they pulled the heart out and it's connected by like the shoulder blades. <laughs> so she's talking about <laughs> if you look at the architecture of the hotel, um, it is called the Bukes Art Bukes Arts am I pronouncing that right? Bow Bow's Arts Architecture. Sorry about that. Uh and it the way it's built almost kind of like the the Biltmore. It has like a building and then there's like a in, inlet, like it's cut inside, and then there's another building that sticks out and then it's cut inside, and then in between it's usually the roof or a courtyard or something. They said, from what I remember, that they built that style because during the early days there's no air conditioning, and it it kind of helped the circulation circulation of the air between the rooms and stuff. So that's what I think I remember. I don't know what that part of the design is called, but it looks really kind of eerie, I guess, when you look at it in the way she described it right now. Well, yeah, I don't like this building. Now I love the Biltmore. The Biltmore is grand. It really is. But the Cecil, you know, the Cecil was never loved properly. The Cecil's one of those, you know, to become a serial killer. And the first <laughs> few years of the building in the early 20s, it was actually, like, they paid millions of dollars to build this. And it said that in the film. And it was like a luxury type of place. And Ooh. That was a firework right now, you guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yikes. I hate fireworks. Well, okay. Hopefully there won't be any more. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Well, they that was it was like a fancy luxury place for travelers, but then it kind of went down quick, went downhill quickly. And again, I have the date built 1924. I know people are saying different dates, but from what I seen in the newspaper, 
that's what came up. May I think it took a maybe a year or so to be actually built up. Maybe that could be the date difference. I'm not sure. But the first suicide that I know from the newspapers was November 1931. So it was only like a few years that it was probably normal. <laughs> and then after that, it just kind of bloop went went down. Now, no, it's normal to have deaths in a hotel or even suicides in a hotel. But you remember what happened that was so significant that changed from a luxurious hotel to then a disenfranchised, you know, daily, weekly rate hotel, SRO, the the Great Depression, the crash. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And that was in the late 30s, I believe, right? I'd have to look it up. I'd say mid, but... See, this is what happens when you don't do your research, kids. I'm talking about myself specifically. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just like to talk. But, um, yeah. So, that's what that's what happens. You have a bunch of people that are here and are doing okay. And then they're just not. And then they're stuck. And we all can, you know, know that feeling of being okay. And then having something happen to us so significant financially that it's really hard for us to adjust afterward but no one was okay it wasn't just one or two people it was tons tons doesn't even go to describe it there right. were communities were just flopped and not just in california across the country yeah absolutely so i'm just reading here um back on, on part episode two just that the Elisa Lamb case, which basically the whole series was based on around, and they did include the history, of course. But in episode two is when the sleuths got involved. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and I have it really makes feelings about them. So I think they initially, you know, I, I wasn't into the internet during the sleuth era was 2013 right and i think maybe uh, facebook was still facebook was started in like 2009 for like yeah so facebook but as far as like reddit internet forums and like weird websites with like forums and all that that's not something i did at all me either. I didn't Maybe have... Maybe only prison talk. <laughs> That's why <laughs> yeah. I was the only one. Prison talk, yes. But as far as other forums <laughs> with communities and... Didn't know none of that. So, I didn't know... Even YouTube, I wasn't watching YouTube back then like that at all. So, I didn't know about these people that have been in the, you know, the sleuth community or true crime, I guess. How they got so involved to try to help solve this case. Because they were... They cared... You know, because it was happening, but it just kind of turned into, I think, an obsession, and I don't know. It it was a bit of a turn off after a while with with some of the ways that they were had these very these theories and conspiracy theories, and and some things were odd. I could say they were, which we'll bring up, but I they kind of went all out in some senses, right? They what, did. What is your thoughts? I think they really meant well. They had good intentions initially. Initially, yeah. Yeah, I think they really... There's something about Elisa Lamb that maybe they saw any, in each other. Or maybe they followed her on um, the one... Tumblr. That, Tumblr that she... I'm not sure which one. 
or both uh, or even neither but she just um, resonated with a lot of people I'd say um, with that said intention their intentions were well they meant good they they wanted to help but it like they said in the documentary they lost perspective they were so deep you know too deep they completely and totally lost perspective and um that's what did them did them in and i'd like to add that what they did to poor morbid was the same thing that we call cyberbullying to this day yes that poor man yes and when i seen the proposal three they kind of ended it on a scary tip with morbid because I'm not into metal, <laughs> death metal and stuff. They they really made it scary sounding for him. For some people. Some people were scared. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it changed after that, obviously. But Yeah. Um, that part there with the, the theories. I know the elevator thing was like a huge thing for people. It was. It was. And when they debunked that. Well, maybe not it debunked it. But the, when they explain the fact that you know they're not trying to give the public all the information yeah like they kind of blurred out the date and time because they didn't want them to have that information but that made sense and if anyone's ever been around or exposed to more than once to anyone that has a, a mental health issues if you look at even if you want to say everything else the weird hopping the spasming hands and how wide they were there's just telltale signs that some that she's having a crisis yes and rather she thought someone's there maybe she did think someone was there we don't know we can't really say but she definitely looked like she was in crisis yes so on that point i think people that work in mental health could see that and know that like psychosis and psychotic episodes and bipolar disorder especially mania um you know so many people with bipolar disorder have different their spectrums of bipolar some people are more severe than others and if you see that and know that then it's understandable what happened right she was she's going through a manic state psych in psychosis but if i'm putting myself before i understood mental health i could see why I'm, it would be so intrigued like why that would look so freaking weird yeah because i didn't i wouldn't i didn't know the how it went at all and i could see why the sleuths were going so deep with it because they have no experience with mental health and because they just yeah so they that's odd to them it's not they can't fathom that right. someone would behave in that kind of a manner because they hadn't been exposed to it. And I might be going on a limb here, but we I would say that a lot of the sleuths that were involved, you know, in, in this case for Elisa Lamb, they're probably people that are probably not out too much. Because I would have to say, if you're on the internet in 2013 that heavy, then you're probably just not out doing a lot of things and you have a lot more time for your computer. Now it's more accessible. For me, back then in 2013, it wasn't. A th it was not a thing yet. It wasn't. It, it yeah, definitely wasn't. So less exposure. Yes, and so not to say that a normal person can't look up Google and and look at bipolar disorder or anything, but unless you're like literally working with the community or 
have more training that's why there is training in it you could it's it's going to be different it really just like any other career that you work with every single day so but again i remember not knowing about this stuff so i judged it and i didn't know like what people's symptoms were like their mental status exam type of thing you know i didn't know so and i think i've seen uh, i heard one of the sleuths saying i just can't be bipolar alone like bipolar is not just like you act one way or another like what like people use bipolar very loosely they do and my kids watched this movie or the documentary with me and my daughter my 20 year old said bipolar you know she is she bipolar and i guess she made the inference that bipolar automatically is like a schizophrenia behavior because she had been not quite accosted but nearly accosted by a homeless man in downtown LA when she was doing an internship in, in theater uh, a couple years back and he behaved kind of like how Elisa Lamb looked and she was like oh then then that's bipolar and I was like no 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 it's a little different not the same everyone automatically thinks bipolar is schizophrenia off the bat right and then there might be like schizoaffective bipolar type I mean there's different variations of it bipolar one bipolar two with psychotic features without psychotic features so it really depends and you have to really you can't just off the bat assess it in a, a movie you have to actually have a full assessment and know the client because some things are provisional and they might change so and you could read this the shit in the book but it's a whole nother fucking thing when you see someone having an episode in front of you and you right. have to deal with it right so it's it, it's not always there's textbook um, examples of behaviors but it's a whole other thing because everybody's individual. When you're immersed in working in it and yeah. that goes for any job that you have you become a expert in whatever you're working in. Exactly. And not to say that that um, you know the, the sleuths but that I think that's where their default was where they they went too far with not understanding mental health and then kind of going the conspiracy route with this this and this which obviously at the end they kind of admitted that they kind of took it far which I'm glad they did but it was disgusting how they judged morbid just based on the way he looked and now I can you know fully understand that automatically if you look a certain way that you have to be a certain way you know like and the way he looks he he looks like he could be scary to some people now people he looks a lot more like people I know and hang out with per se but um, or have in the past or you know sometimes do as opposed to you know a lot of other people would have no experience with someone like him but they judged him they didn't even take the time to see that his postings from the friggin Cecil Hotel were a year previous right right and what like that's like a big deal that's not something so minute it's huge they fucked this man over the man had to be institutionalized for it. He can't even uh, create anymore. Yeah, he he looked very traumatized. And just the fact that people cyberbully like that where they're doing death threats, I'm like, how, they're doing like the opposite of helping. Exactly. I don't know how people get like that. I never freaking been a stan or any kind of person that got that ex obsessed, which my sister said these people are just became obsessed at the end. Yeah. I... I never, I don't know how that it, it is to be. I'm, I try to be pretty balanced, but yeah, that was pretty.
pretty uh, hurtful and you could see it in his face and it's sad and I hope that now they could reach out to him and apologize now that this is out because it's not fair to him um, just because you know his lifestyle or whatever he portrayed in the metal world death metal I mean we see that's not uncommon I guess you know but it, it's interesting how they just my sister wanted to add this part too <laughs> but that's that, part of our conversation which they did mention <laughs> in the video too that they were just looking for something to blame it on. Not to blame it on just that, but like something that was sensational. Like it's a murder. It's like a ghost. It's this. I would have loved it if it was a ghost. But they were looking for that so bad. Because it was so bizarre. It is for bizarre. Pe for Don't people. Get me wrong, it no, is. no, it, not just that. It, even for someone seasoned like you or I. Mm -hmm. Just, I remember when this came out. I remember. <laughs> Uh -huh. I remember when this came out, um, it looked paranormal, like almost, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, um, behaviors of like mental health and, and whatnot involved, <laughs> but it looks odd. It looks supernatural. And when we're talking again about these people that are, you know, on online, the sleuths that have all this time to be doing like that. I'd like to go and make a, a guess that a lot of these people, like I mentioned before, are at home and they don't have a lot of inter interaction with people in the outside world and probably not a lot of experiences with like, let's say, morbid, the death metal man. They probably didn't have a lot of experience with someone like him because automatically he was their scapegoat. Yes, I, I agree that they took it far with that, with the morbid thing and just that again the mental health thing that they were way off on that they, they didn't understand it and didn't want to just believe it was that like my sister had said they wanted to find something else and that's why the whole elevator thing was like there has to be somebody behind the elevator um somebody must have threw her in the tank and all that stuff you know so it just didn't make sense and that part was just kind of annoying like how it, it became like quite annoying and if you try to think of this as like an investigator of anything not just a paranormal investigator but an investigator or someone who just likes to ask questions we'll say like that they tell you the you know how you have to get on top of the roof you know the two options the the um fire escape or you know the elevator right mm -hmm. so those are the two options and no matter where your mind comes to however she got there even if she was being dragged or you know, someone had a knife or a gun to her. Um, and do you really think that someone... I mean, I'm not saying that people haven't done strange things. But, like, why would someone just want to kill her, not rape her, not nothing? Just tell her to go swim in the friggin' in water tank. If you really try to rationalize it a little bit, it doesn't... It just doesn't make sense. Out of all the different conclusions you come to, that someone without any kind of motive... No stabbing, no beating. Yeah, there was no evidence from the corner that none of that was there. No foul play. And most of the time, you know, when there's crimes committed, there's going to be some kind of physical interaction. And it just doesn't seem very feasible with the options that are um, out there. And people, did they didn't want, I guess, back to Vanessa. Mm -hmm. They didn't want anything that was rational. They Yeah, wanted... it wasn't as exciting. No, of course not. Right. It wasn't something that... So it was almost like they were really looking for a different answer. 
Yes. They wanted someone to take accountability for it. Yes. And yeah. Which I guess in their way, they're like, we want somebody to take account. But it, it went too far. And in this case, the morbid guy, he was hurt. You know, his life was turned around because of it. Even though he had nothing to do with it. But um, yeah, they were just searching so hard to find somebody that they could blame for the death. Because they cared about Elisa, but then it turned around into something else. It became a nightmare. Yeah, and the part about going up to the water tank, I mean, I really think, and Vanessa does too, that <laughs> the alarm wasn't probably working on the door. Probably was not. Because we all been to those cheap places that it's bullshit, that door Dude, doesn't work. right now, and this doesn't mean that you guys should go do that, but we just drove across the, the front of it, and like that front door to like the middle lobby part's like wide open. And there's people inside. Not inside the lobby, but in the middle part. The middle part before the lobby, whatever that room's called, which I the forgot. Foyer? The foyer? Kind of like a foyer, but it's... Sorry. We'll call it a foyer. In between the... The, the in-between. <laughs> people are in the in-between right now looking at the lobby and being looking Yeah, at she thinks that the alarm must have not worked. It makes oh, more sense. Oh, that hotel probably... Because... That ladder on the side, that mm. shit seems scary. Like, scary if she, fuck. if she's, she, I don't want to fell off it. I'm being normal. I couldn't even have pulled my own weight up. One step, that <laughs> would have been toast. <laughs> yeah, that was a really scary edge on that ladder. Like, yes. I don't imagine that with her. I, I think that the door must have been cracked. Because they, they found pizza boxes and, like, beer and cigarettes up there. So, they must have been getting up there somehow. Exactly. Maybe and, it's locked other times, but maybe this, I mean, it just didn't work or something. I don't know. I mean, come on. From the beginning, the, the GM was saying that they wanted this to be a luxurious, you know, hotel. And then right away they were told that that they couldn't. So, what about the all the, what they call synchronicity or the coincidences? That was very interesting, I think. And bizarre. Yeah. Well, let me take that back. I think it's very bizarre that all of a sudden this um chinese woman you know or a canadian woman of chinese descent comes has like a mental breakdown in the middle of downtown near skid row and then months later there's a huge tb outbreak which is not surprising for was skid it row. months later or during that time i think it was like a month later or a month or two later i can't recall i'd have to look it up i don't remember again me you'll find out i'm not really a note taker and not really a a super duper researcher unless I absolutely have to so I don't remember the timeline but it wasn't long after it happened if you remember the um, coroner didn't give uh, the final um, death the, the death um, certificate didn't come out and the final findings didn't come out to I believe it was June so she went missing on the 30th of January she wasn't um, they didn't find her for three weeks or just about three weeks, and then they didn't have the um, cause of death until June. Uh -huh. So five months, sometime in between that time, there was a tuberculosis outbreak down in um, Skid Row. Uh -huh. And they were calling it something, I don't know if they were calling it, but I think they were calling it some kind of strange outbreak called Lam Elisa. Lam Elisa, which was a test. A test, okay, thank you. A test that they were using. And how bizarre is that? Really bizarre. But the other stuff from the um, the last bookstore, oh yeah, that's just ridiculous. Like who goes and 
finds the coordinates and it comes up to Canada where she buried. is buried. Like, who even does that? I mean, someone does, but what I guess... What about with the movie Dark Matter? Dark Water. Dark, dark Water? And not... Okay, for as a paranormal investigator and a lover of horror movie genre, different, different genres um, of horror, I've seen Dark Water. I saw it millions of years ago. Um, there was such a likeness to it it was really eerie. Same dilapidated kind of like hotel or apartment because you know, dark water, it's apartment. And I'm talking about the American version, by the way. And, you know, weird happenings. One can say the mother in the movie is having some kind of mental issue, whereas she's having a paranormal, you know, activity in actuality. But one can argue it's, you know, some kind of mental health crisis. And then... You know, the water tank. The little girl ends up in the water tank. She stays there with the little girl's ghost. The There were such similarities, and people really wanted it to be sensationalized. Mm -hmm. So, it was just kind of... It, it's one of those things that gives you, like, a weird feeling. It, it's just such an odd place, the Cecil. Yeah. And all these uh, synchronicities, as Donya, you know, mentions, just added to the lore of the story... And someone trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a weird energy, or, you know, some kind of, you know, the reason those coincidences or synchronicities happen. I I don't doubt there might be some kind of energy that attracts. I mean, plus again, we're in Skid Row. Um, all there's already a lot of negative energy because people are suffering. They're living in this area and they have a lot of unresolved issues and trauma and all that so all that energy is not happy so in addition to everything that did happen at the hotel so yeah there is some weird connections there with the synchronicity thing I think that they really I think it's weird I think I do think that part is weird those those things that they found I don't I don't believe like a straight conspiracy but I think it's just odd um definitely that part was very odd definitely i don't really tend to believe in coincidences myself personally but i also believe if you keep on reaching you're gonna find something that's what vanessa said too <laughs> yeah you just keep reaching out and eventually you'll find something and you'll you'll make it stick and i think again like the gentleman says in in the actual um documentary they were just in too deep and they lost perspective they really did um and they just they just got in too deep and obsessed. Yeah, cause right when they said in episode three or four when she had gone to the filming of that show, and she wrote the letter to, like a letter to the producer. I don't know who she wrote a letter and then like the post-it notes with all these odd things for the roommate and acting erratic. I mean, it made sense that she was definitely going through an episode, and um, if she was manic, you know anything goes like going up and up into that roof and jumping in to take a swim either taking off your clothes first or maybe after she took off her clothes because they were heavy or something yeah when they broke it down another thing is during when all this happened back in 2013 obviously like detectives and police do they don't give you all the information and there's reasoning behind it however none of this other stuff was ever made public to my knowledge and unless maybe you dug deeper to my knowledge, um, until this documentary. 
And what I mean by that is her sister even said that at home she would have episodes like this. Uh huh. She would hide. She would talk to herself. A lot of the things that she was doing in the um, the, the the elevator video and so forth, that stuff that her sister recognized to be true to um, her behavior when she was having a, a breakdown or an episode or a, a crisis, whatever you would prefer to call it. So we didn't know that. If we would have known that back in 2013, then maybe people wouldn't have been trying to reach so far and make it something that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But because we didn't know that, um, unfortunately, you know, other people wanted to make it more than it was. And But yeah, those were all signs and symptoms that she regularly had or had when she was going through a crisis. And on top of it also being where they ruled it an accident but you know people that could be suicidal in that state too could be suicide we don't really know exactly but one or the other but accident or she she already had she had said that she felt suicidal at times before so it's not it's not surprising that she could have been feeling suicidal if not then yeah definitely very manic yeah. and accident you know jumped in I'm gonna go for a swim like stuff like that like very um risky behaviors and impulsive and doing things without thinking are very common in when you're in that state and the sister mentioned that she liked to hide and maybe that place seemed like a good place to hide at the at the time or she was paranoid or yeah you know, whatever it was and maybe she thought she wasn't obviously thinking like you know uh, a person who's not going through a crisis would be thinking and thinking if I get in here I'm not gonna be able to get out and when the coroner um, really taught delve into the science of the water tank and hypothermia all that stuff kind of makes sense where you know people who've experienced hyperthermia because of the chemical reactions in their body they start stripping Mm-hmm. And while that mm-hmm. seems like nonsensical to you and I, it's documented that the people who you know are experiencing hyperthermia, that's what they've done. So, I mean, right there, that tells you something. And then the, also the pressure of the water. People are... <laughs> I don't think we talked enough about that, but people are using this water. And so the pressure is going to go up and go down and go uh-huh. up and go down depending on the use. So, of course, I don't, you know, I'm sure, especially in that kind of panic state and that she was in, she obviously wasn't thinking everything all the way through and thinking clearly. And it's unfortunate that if this would have happened at a different hotel, just some more streets over, that this probably wouldn't have gotten this far because of the behavior, but because of where it's at, because it's at the Cecil in Skid Row, everyone is desensitized to that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was just, yeah, The we, I'm glad they really brought up the mental health part and the sleuths, the ones that at least admitted that they were wrong. Um, maybe not all the ones that bullied the guy. So hopefully, again, like I said, they reach out to him or something to apologize or, you know, if he needs help or something. Because he really looked distressed. Like, his face, you could see it. The morbid guy. Morbid guy. Um, and then they said, just to, that, you know, the whoever bought it is going to reopen it. 
And I don't know. I thought it was weird that they're going to have a rooftop pool and, like, bar up there and stuff. I don't know. I just... That's just... And we talked about, like, how some places embrace death and, like, to make it, like, oh, come to our place. Yeah. Like, ghosts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But Like an attraction. But I guess now, after seeing this, and I guess it's hard to really do that because there was actually victims that have been in these rooms, you know, from all the years. People that killed themselves, people that have been murdered and raped. So it's kind of fucked up to be, like... Like, oh, come here because it's this to, like, make money off it. I'm kind of on the fence. It's a bittersweet thing because I think that the Lisa Lamb case is so sad. But as a paranormal investigator, that's literally what we do. We literally go to sites where we know, I mean, everywhere there's death, right? But we go to famous sites or sites that we know of and we go and try to seek uh, validation from spirits that they're there. And we have communication and we, you know, try to get something out of it. You know, something, some some more enlightenment from the other side. So that's not too far off. And I can't lie, if they if they did that and then there was a pool top, uh, a, a rooftop pool, I'm sure. Well, as long as it has a bar, I don't think I'd go to the pool. But I'm sure I'd be up there and I'm sure I'd order a drink and snap a I picture. I guess as a paranormal, I could see that. But I guess I'm seeing it like, you know, people have been raped and stuff in there. Like, I wouldn't want to glorify rape. I don't know if it's glorification. Or like, even like, the people that did commit suicide. Like, oh, this 20 people committed suicide. Because I know that they probably were going through so much. I don't know. I just, I could see why maybe they never, they want to keep it hidden. But I could see why some other places, they, they don't. So... I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a toughie. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of a bittersweet situation, at least for on a, on my in my perspective as a paranormal investigator, mm-hmm. because it'd be prime to go investigate. There's so much bad stuff and so much despair and you know lingering spirits and darkness in there. I'm sure I would have a plethora of experiences and activity that. Just for going up a couple of floors. I'm sure I wouldn't even have to look very hard for it. But I will tell you what really bothers me. Is that the Cecil will always be remembered as where Elisa Lamb had her tragic ending. How many other women her age, men her age, older, younger, died in some really sad way? All around here. Yeah. No one cares about them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't care for Elisa Lam and what she went through. But how many of them die? And why do we care about Elisa Lam more than we care about the homeless people on the street? Mm-hmm. Or the prostitute that was killed by her John? Or the woman who jumped out of the building and, and committed suicide? Like, why do we care about Elisa Lam so much more than we care about the other stories? Yeah, well, the general manager said there's been other... The same goes back to it's never been reported, all these other deaths. Because it probably goes back to judgment on what's around here. Agreed. She was a a woman from a different country. And while she wasn't um, white, she was Asian. So she wasn't a brown, brown brown-skinned person. And I think that 
that right there as a being a tourist and um sorry i'm having a hiccup issue right now um that just made her um the role I, I think a lot of people really related to her not me per se but a lot of people really related to her in some kind of level i think it may, it may have been on her tumblr but she definitely got a lot of attention or her death did and i think there's so many people that died there or around here that deserve just the same yeah also the attention part probably is also because the other deaths were were like in the 80s 90s where technology obviously now was growing in 2013 with all the social media that was at the time and all these people were able to communicate from all over the world about this so i think that definitely made a big deal about was a big thing and back in you know when that other serial killer was there the other man and richard ramirez i mean there's no internet none None. of that yeah so that of course modern times did have a lot to do with it because people were able to connect and discuss these things i could see that just like we're doing now just like (laughs) we're doing now does anyone really want to discuss what it tastes like to drink dead body water yeah sludgy brown water did anyone wonder why those people from um great britain drank brown sludgy water or brush your teeth with it i'd rather have bad breath <laughs> yeah i don't know that was like uh i wouldn't have drank the water i i don't like drinking the faucet water period but yeah i don't know what me their either. thing was anyone who knows me like i mean i've stayed at some sketchy places back in my day but now i don't really go below a, a best western and i just I, I mean like if you don't have the money for it then maybe you shouldn't do it and, I, and we all know that i can be a little overboard well you guys will find out mm-hmm. i'm talking about the people that are listening that actually know me in real life i can go a little overboard and i like to overindulge but i mean man sometimes you get what you pay for yeah so any last comments on the Cecil before we end we are gonna go out and go check it out right now we're gonna walk over there just real quick hopefully it's not too many people out there but just to say bye to it maybe to like give our respects to all, all the people, people that passed away yeah Elisa Lamb. yeah exactly do you guys have any questions for us any comments anything else you'd like to hear Please leave us messages and like and follow. Yeah, so my page is swampme underscore chronicles. We will eventually have a new page for the podcast specifically. So we could share when the episodes will come out. But for now, we'll link them into our bio. And then she has a new Instagram. Um, it's barely new. I'm, I haven't been I'm up on it as much as i should but add her so she starts posting more it's observing spooks and and other vices is there underscore there yeah observing underscore spooks underscore and other vices okay so that that link um on my links i could add um the podcast and then we'll update everybody and when there'll be a page so you could add that too eventually and our first episode is actually the Preston discussing Preston Castle and a little bit intro about us. So we're going to be trying to post that pretty soon as well. So yeah. keep a heads up. We have a lot in store for you guys. Um, we might even have some live stuff eventually. We're working on it. It's in the works. This is kind of rough, but <laughs> but here you go. 
All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See you later. Bye.